Hello and welcome to EndNotes, a WooCast production. In this series, we take you behind the cover and through the pages of books on politics, policy, and more, all written by faculty at Princeton's Woodrow Wilson School. I'm Rose Kelly, and joining me today is Lauren Wright, author of the upcoming book, Star Power, American Democracy in the Age of the Celebrity Candidate. Lauren is an associate research scholar and lecturer in politics and public affairs at Princeton University, where she teaches courses on the presidency and executive power, women in politics, and political communication. In her latest book, Lauren looks at celebrities in political power. Are Americans more likely to vote for celebrities than traditional politicians? And what exactly enables these stars to win? Welcome to the show, Lauren. Thanks, Rose. I'm really excited to talk to you about this. I haven't done an interview for this book, I don't think, yet. It's early. Well, this is wonderful. So why, why don't we start from the beginning? Um, what motivated you to write this book? Was there a particular celebrity election that maybe fueled this work? <laughs> <laughs> a very recent one. Well, yes, I think two things. First, I I think, as you know a little bit about my work on First Ladies, what I became so interested in with my first book about how important First Ladies of the United States are as messengers is that one of the main assets they have is their celebrity status. So I've been interested in that as a set of factors on the campaign trail um, in the presidency in particular. And then, of course, once Donald Trump was elected, I saw sort of a lack of of coverage and conversation about the unique skill set that he had that has to do with being a reality television star that really helped him, particularly in that large primary field. So I wanted to get my hands around that, measure it, and test it somehow. So your book combines qualitative analysis, some public opinion surveys, survey experiments, Combining all of that, what would you say are maybe the three biggest takeaways from from your research? Oh, that's a great question. So, you know, with the qualitative stuff, the qualitative analysis was basically going through every memoir I could find that was written by a celebrity who turned uh, to became a politician. And there are a lot of them. So, uh, you know, the the first thing I really learned having I'm new to this sort of area that academic called star studies or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really new to this particular area of political communication research. And there's a lack of research that really treats celebrity as a set of measurable components. So what I was looking for with the memoirs I read was, uh, you know, why do celebrities run? And one of the reasons they run is probably one of the worst reasons you can cite, which is my, you know, my whole life, everyone's told me me that I I can't do certain things and I do them anyway. And I like proving people wrong. So those sort of unabashed admissions were very, very striking to me. And then with the quantitative research, I did confirm that these set of factors that I think make up celebrity status, things like name recognition, popularity, relatability, fundraising ability, this large social media following that celebrities have built in, and their unique outsider status are many times, in fact, above and beyond what traditional politicians have. So they're dealing with uh, sort of a full deck when it comes to campaign attributes and qualities that we know are closely associated with electability. 
And then finally, when I tested whether voters preferred celebrity candidates to high name recognition, traditional politicians, I found that many times within their own party, voters do prefer celebrity candidates. On average, they're about as likely to choose them as traditional politicians or a little bit less, which I found really striking. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's because of this really special status that celebrities have. So if you think about Donald Trump, for example, let's think about how he started in August 2015 in that first Republican debate. There was a huge field. We know voters don't pay much attention. We know they don't know a lot about politics. And so who jumps out at you? Probably the name you recognize, right? That's what we know from the name recognition literature is it's sort of a heuristic. It gives you a shortcut to thinking someone's viable in an election. And some people think it gives you a shortcut to liking someone. So he had that going in. He's practiced his whole life. And this is why I focus on entertainment as the source of celebrities. Um, I'm interested in people who came to fame in that particular context. His He's practiced, and all celebrities are, at keeping themselves relevant, maintaining the ne- media narrative, however necessary, shock value, whatever it is shaping it to their liking. And so, you know, not only did he maximize media attention, he really took over the narrative of that Republican primary. And other celebrities like him have the same set of attributes. They've all had the same experience of getting people to love them their whole lives. That's that's what their livelihood is based on. It's really valuable in politics. What other examples does your book explore? What, which other celebrities? Yeah, so one was a really interesting example I I looked at in depth was um, Upton Sinclair, who wrote the uh, who wrote the Jungle, ran for governor of California in 1934 as a socialist, uh, but under the banner of the Democratic Party. And if you if you read about this campaign, and he has actually a great uh, memoir that he wrote um, called I Candidate for Governor, you'll see he used a lot of the same tools Donald Trump did. A lot of it's almost indistinguishable. You know, he uh, was attacking the media. Uh, They, you know, they are trying to make a bad name of me. Things I've said that are inappropriate, they're taking out of context. Oh, by the way, my fans love me. I pack these rooms and you should see how they want to stay with me and touch me and get to know me. Uh, And and his economic message, which was a four word slogan, uh, a lot like Make America Great Again, End Poverty in California was what he used to, to summarize his platform. And he said, you know what? I know the economists. Uh, I, it, it reminded me a lot of what Trump said about dealing with uh, with terrorism in the Middle East. I know more than the generals do because Sinclair said, I know more the, than the economists do. Uh, I've known them my whole life. And trust me, they're not that smart. So <laughs> there were tons of factors in that election that I really saw repeated. And celebrities do use a similar skill set to Donald Trump. Their style might not be exactly the same, but there are so many examples of this type of campaign. Well, I feel like Donald Trump also has this sort of megaphone with Twitter. Is that something that comes into play here in the book at all? In terms yes, of- absolutely. So one thing celebrities bring with them is is this built-in following. And it's not just people who know them and recognize them. So familiarity is one thing. But one thing social media and studies of it have been so valuable for 
is getting some sort of proxy for interest in someone? Do you engage with them? Do you follow them by choice? And Donald Trump absolutely has that built-in following. And the celebrities I looked at uh, who have all in the book at least teased running in 2020, most, you know, basically none of them have actually declared a candidacy. But those that teased it, they mostly have larger Twitter followings than uh, their traditional political counterparts, many of whom are running in 2020. And they also beat out traditional politicians on these other factors, too. I mean, given that this is sort of an age of influencers, we have, you know, Instagram influencers and whatnot. Do you think this is going to become a trend? Um, Are we going to see more of this? It's really hard to say. So as I mentioned, it's happened a lot more throughout history than we think. Uh, But it could go one of two ways, either celebrities, which I think is starting to happen. We'll see Donald Trump won. They will wait to see if he wins again in 2020. And they will continue to say, hey, I thought I wasn't qualified before, but look, I'm very qualified, which is what Oprah essentially said uh, a few months ago when she was asked about consideration of running for president. Or people will see Donald Trump and the parties will think, you know, this didn't work out so well. Maybe it's not the answer. Maybe we need um, an anti-Trump. But, you know, the skill set he has honed over his entire life is often underestimated. You know, given that we're a policy school, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask, what are the policy implications of having celebrities in power? And should we be worried? What do we what do you think? Well, it's a question the founders asked. And so it's been a big part of our country's history. If you look at the Federalist Papers, Hamilton and Madison were really worried about people coming to power uh, who they said were practiced in the little arts of popularity. That's what they called it. And un- undereducated, unknowledgeable voters choosing them and elevating them to these positions of power uh, without the necessary qualifications to govern well. So if there were policy implications, I would say probably um, election policy, uh, you know, the way political parties uh, nominate candidates, it's a little different than public policy for the public good. But then once celebrities get elected, and this is so important, they're not necessarily failures if they surround themselves with experienced policymakers and experts and people who have um, a body of experience within a particular policy area, they can succeed. So basically, if they become more like a traditional politician, things might not turn out all that badly. Why do you think it's sort of moving in this direction? Can you say? I mean, we talked about social media. Are there other factors at play? It really, to me, is mostly a media story Um, and not just the 24-hour news cycle and social media, but we know from research on partisanship that people's identities are shaped by what party they belong to. And and that's a lot like the way people respond to celebrity. These people become sort of measuring sticks or, or part of how people build their identity and measure themselves against it. Uh, and, and politics is, of course, becoming nationalized. So these national and international figures seem more and more familiar and accessible. And as the world becomes smaller because of those things, they are elevated even more and they're given even more influence. So this next one is sort of a two-part question. Um, What was your favorite section to write and what was the hardest section to write? Oh, uh, 
My favorite section was definitely the memoir analysis section. I found out so many interesting things from reading memoirs. And of course, you have to take them with a grain of salt because memoirs of politicians are not so much representations of what actually happened, but they are really good representations of what politicians and celebrities want you to think about what happened. And that can be just as interesting if you're interested in messaging. So you know, and reading a lot of the psychological research on celebrities really came together with me in these two qualitative chapters because it's not just that celebrities run for the wrong reasons, which I absolutely found in the memoir section, uh, but they do have personality abnormalities. They are uh, people who like to surround themselves with supporters and sycophants. And psychologists are really interesting in sort of these generalizable factors to celebrities that also contribute to this side of we should really be careful before elevating these people to positions of national power. Yeah, this is a good time of year to publish a book as people are on summer vacations. Um, so why should someone add this one? Why should they add star power to their summer reading list? Oh, I hope so. So I'll give a little plug for my methods section because it does compare a lot of the 2020 candidates to celebrities. So people like Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, uh, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, they're all in that list of traditional politicians that are widely recognized, whether they're more uh, appetizing to voters than celebrities, and a lot of times they're not. So I'll give you that plug. It's very relevant to the 2020 Democratic field, and hopefully it will shed some light on the types of factors, skills, and attributes that it might take for someone to beat Donald Trump. Well, we're just about out of time here, Lauren, but is there anything else you wanted to add that we didn't cover that you want to point out? I'll add a little normative note just really quickly about whether this is good or bad for society, and I want listeners to think about this. We know that progress happens slowly. We talk about that a lot in politics. Um, you know, uh, Barack Obama loves the Martin Luther King Jr. quote about uh, how uh, over time we see justice, the arc of justice is slow, uh, but, it, but it does progress. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg says something similar. Uh, but also the erosion of democratic values happens just as slowly. Uh, so we need to recognize, uh, even if things that we find bothersome in presidential politics are happening little by little and people don't perceive it to affect their everyday lives, that doesn't mean that eventually these won't be uh, palpable, harmful factors for our society. So I'll leave, I'll leave you with that relatively depressing note. <laughs> Well, why don't you tell us where we can get Star Power? Where so we'll Routledge is the publisher. Of course, it's available there. Also on Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com, pretty much any bookseller uh, that that you want to use online has it. It's available for pre-order right now, and it's coming out July 24th. Well, this is great. This has been a really great um, preview of the book, and we want to thank you so much, Lauren, for joining us today. Of course, Rose. Thank you. We want to thank our listeners for tuning into EndNotes, currently available on SoundCloud. We also want to thank our audio engineer, Dan Kearns, our audio editor, Bonalise Rosado, and our visual designer, Egan Jimenez. Take care, everybody.
You've been listening to EndNotes, a series produced by WooCast, the podcast enterprise of Princeton University's Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs. The content you've just heard does not reflect nor represent the views of Princeton University or the Woodrow Wilson School.